Well, if you missed it as you came in here today, we're on week two of a multi-week sermon series called Face to Face with Jesus. And we're looking at ordinary encounters, regular everyday conversations between Jesus and men and women in the Bible, ordinary people just like you and I today, looking at an encounter that Jesus has with a woman named Martha and her younger sister named Mary. And the goal of this sermon series, we want to think a little bit more seriously on what it would look like if we actually looked a little bit more like Jesus and a little bit less like our normal selves. What would our relationships look like if we thought the way Jesus thought? If we looked at people the way we see Jesus looking at people, if we loved people the way Jesus loves people in Scripture, how would that impact our relationships, our our family, our community, our places of work? Profound, profound things by looking at the face-to-face conversations that Jesus had with other people. Now, to get us thinking about this today, we just read in our Gospel reading, how many of you on some level can empathize with Martha? Martha. I mean, this is not an unreasonable request, right? I mean, we all know uh, similar situations to this. If you're a mom or dad, for example, you might be grumbling against your kids on occasion for not picking up after themselves and helping around the house. It's frustrating after work, after school, to come back and to see the one thing you asked your child to do didn't get done. We get frustrated with that, right? If you're a student here today, have you ever worked on a project with other kids in your class and you're working on this project and it seems like you're the only one that's doing all the work and these other kids are just slacking off? Is that, that's happened to you, Amelia Abel? Of course it has. I was the one slacking off back in the day, by the way. Funny story, actually. Uh, Scott's wife, Leah, Amelia's mom and I went to college together, and uh, I can tell you firsthand, I slacked off while Leah did all of her projects for DCE ministry back in the day. So very apropos. Thank you. But we get this. It happens at work. It happens in school. It happens in our family lives. And really, Martha, when you understand what uh, she was cooking for or who she's cooking for, you can empathize with her even more. If you look at Luke chapter 8, After 8, 9, and 10, those chapters are uh, seen together as one giant narrative. We find out that Jesus actually wasn't alone. Text tells us that afterward, Jesus went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him, so the 12 disciples hanging out with Jesus, but also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And what they were doing, essentially a traveling band of missionaries going from town to town. They were spreading the gospel. They were healing the sick. The feeding of the 5,000 happened in this time. Jesus healed a young daughter who had, or actually rose her from the dead, a man by the name of Jairus. Her daughter, his daughter dies. Jesus brings her back to life. All this ministry is going on. And then he shows up in this town in this small little village called Bethany where Mary and Martha lived. And Martha seeing all these people. This is a culture that is based on hospitality. She felt inclined to cook and to serve all these people, and she looks over at Mary, the princess daughter, the goody-two-shoe daughter, sitting at Jesus' feet, learning. And she says to Jesus, would you make her help? What we're going to focus on here today is actually what we see as we dive into this text. That's not the core issue for Martha. 
It wasn't just that Mary wasn't serving and helping. There's something deeper going on in her heart. If we're honest this morning, there is something deeper going on in our heart. We're going to look at that in depth. Let's start with verse 38. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. There should be a Bible in your pew. You can use an app on your phone if you'd like to follow along. And we're in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village... And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And I want to pause there, because in this culture, especially as a Jewish person, as an Israelite, this was a very unusual thing. Uh, in those days, there was a place, an opportunity for women to learn from the rabbis, but it happened inside the temple, and it happened in open, in an open way, so that everybody could see what was going on. This is a very polite society, a law-abiding society, and there was meant to be accountability to this. Whenever a, a man would teach a woman, there needed to be witnesses so that there was accountability, okay? Nowhere in Jewish literature, nowhere in Scripture do you see a rabbi going to a single woman's house and teaching her one-on-one. -on -one. This would be borderline scandalous for this to happen, which makes then Martha's conversation with Jesus all the more shocking. Go with me to verse 40. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha is distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So two things here, very, very important. Number one, Martha interrupts the leader of the synagogue, the leader of uh, this group of people, Jesus, the rabbi, she interrupts him. In that culture, immensely disrespectful. Mary's jaw would have hit the floor. I said, Martha, what are you doing? The disciples, uh, as Jewish men, had the right to actually punish her, discipline her. So that's the first thing. Martha interrupts Jesus, then makes a demand of him. Tell her, Jesus, to help me. Oh, my goodness. We don't understand in our culture how disrespectful, how shocking that would be. And, you know, we don't. We live in a different culture, right, where it's actually very common for us to show disrespect to other people. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a time when it's very common for our children to disrespect us as parents, and we don't always discipline that. My wife's a public school teacher. She will tell you that in the public schools today, it's very, very common for students to disrespect their teachers and not get in trouble for it. It's very common for us as an adults, isn't it, to uh, disrespect those who are in authority. In fact, there's cable news channels, blogs, social media channels that are dedicated just to that thing to give us an avenue, an outlet to disrespect, to disagree with those who are in authority. This is a normal thing for our society. But I'm old enough to remember a time when that was a little bit different. I grew up in the 80s, known as the spanking generation, all right? Uh, you young kids, you have no idea what I'm about to say, but get this. When I was growing up, if I got in trouble, if I disrespected a teacher at school, if I sassed back, I would get a spanking on my behind. And let me tell you this. Oh, boy. If you would say that to your mama... If you sass back to your mother, I didn't just get a spanking. I got the wooden spoon on my backside. I have broken so many wooden spoons. They should put this in the Hall of Fame. Which, by the way, turns out that I figured out I was such a bad kid. You know what? My sisters got spanked once with a wooden spoon. My parents tell me that me and my brother took many, many whippings to get us in shape. I figured out, though, that if you wear like 15 pair of underwear, <laughs> softens the blow, takes the sting away. Just uh, note to self, kids, if you live in one of those homes today. Here's the point. 
It's normal in our society to talk back to adults in the cultures of the past, especially in first century Israel. This would have been extremely, extremely something that, that, that Martha would have been punished for. It, it was not acceptable behavior. And I say all that. I make this exaggeration. I, I point this out because of this. Let's jump out of this story here for just a second. Let's talk about you and I and our relationship with Jesus. Have you ever thought, prayed, cried out to God and said something like this, why, God? God, why is this happening to me? Why did I lose my job and not this person over there? Why did I lose my loved one and not this person over there? Lord, it is not fair that I'm going through this experience again. Why, God, is this happening to me? Why, God, me? I'm a good person. I go to church on Sunday. I say my prayers. I, I give my tithe. This kind of thing doesn't happen to me. It happens to those kind of people over there. Have you ever, have you ever said that or thought that or prayed that? Then you know exactly what it's like to be Martha, to lament against God, to think that something is unfair, to demand something of God. God, make this different. I'm, I'm telling you, God. When you see it in that light, in a spiritual light, you see we can be just as disrespectful to our Savior as we see Martha doing, which makes Jesus' response to her so incredible and so life-giving. This is actually the most shocking thing of this story, the way Jesus responds. Look at verse 41. Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha. First of all, this is not something in our culture, but in those days, to say the name of a person twice was actually a term of endearment. It was a compassionate way to approach Martha. Jesus is showing her great love in this, Martha, Martha. He's drawing her near him, not pushing her away in discipline. It's very, very important that we understand that. Martha, Martha, Jesus is saying, come near to me. For you are anxious and troubled about many things. And here is really where we see the heart of Martha. We see the heart of what Jesus is trying to get at. You see, if the big issue for Martha would have been the serving and that Mary wasn't helping with it, he would have said, Martha, Martha, you're worried about this one thing over here, the serving thing. Instead, he says, Martha, you're worried about many things. Your heart is troubled and anxious about all these things, and what really Jesus is doing is pointing out her idols. The Bible says that an idol is anything that competes for the love and affection that belongs to God alone as our creator, as the savior of the world. And when we're worried about something, when we're anxious about something, actually what we're doing is pointing out the root cause, which is our idols. Because our trust is misplaced. We're worried about this or that, and we're not fully trusting God to take care of our situation. I mean, this is the God of the universe who knows how many hairs are on our head. He cares for the, the weakest and the fragilest of animals in our ecosystem, the sparrow. Scripture tells us God feeds them abundantly. And he asks us to put our same, that same trust and faith in him, the simple faith. And these idols that we have, it, it exposes that, our lack of trust and the things that worry us. And ultimately what Jesus is trying to do here is free Martha of this burden that she has. This is spiritual slavery. When we're so worried and so anxious we can't sleep, we're burdened by that. Jesus wants to free us and give us true life, give us real life. And we see it in, her, in his answer. He gives her a very practical way in which she can get out of this burden. Look at verse 42. 
he says one thing is necessary. And that word one in the Greek, it's a neutered word. It's actually a, a punitive word. It, properly translated, or the best way to translate this, we might say, but one puny thing is necessary. One simple thing, one small thing. And he does that to exaggerate all the worries of her heart, all those many things that she's troubled at. Jesus says, no, you need this one simple thing that's going to free you from all those burdens, all those things that has you in conflict with your sister, staying up at night, unable to sleep, this one tiny thing, and he points it out, keep reading. He uses his, her sister Mary as an object lesson. Mary has chosen the good portion. It's very intentional language, because what's Martha doing? Preparing a meal, right? And when that meal is done, she's going to put out the portions of food on the table. And when the meal is over, if there is any food left over, you could ask Martha as the host, hey, Martha, could I have a second portion of potatoes or soup or meat? What Jesus says here is that Mary has chosen the good portion, the portion of himself, his presence, his words, his love, his grace, his acceptance, Jesus wants Martha to have the bread of life, as he says in Scripture. He wants Martha to have the living water, the only thing that's going to satiate the problems of her heart, her worries, her burdens. Jesus is simply offering Martha this one thing himself, his presence and his words. Now, this Christmas, I had the opportunity to hang out with one of our college kids, a member of our father who is off to college, and reached out to me, and in the form of a conversation, we're sitting around uh, talking, uh, tells me that he's really struggling in his faith. Grew up here in this church, went to youth group, active kid, but now he's at college, and he admits that God seems very distant from him, that God is far away, and he's not sure. Can I believe what the Bible says? Is the Bible true? How do we know? And is Jesus' love and grace real, or is it something that we conjured up real profound questions that probably many of us have, have wrestled with in our lives before? I'm listening, and, and he's talking, and finally I had an opportunity to ask him a couple questions, and I say, you know, have you found a church yet? We talked about when you leave this place, how important it is to find a church. And he said, well, you know, I've gone to a couple churches around my school, and uh, it's nothing like our father. I don't like any of those churches, so nah, no, I haven't found a church. I said, oh, well, good luck. I mean, good luck for you, uh, fortunate for you, because did you know we live stream every single one of our services? You can watch church now from the comfort of your dorm room or someplace else, and uh, any time of the year, no matter where you go, you can watch church. And he says, well, you know, I, I picked up an extra job at work and uh, extra shift at work and all my homework, and, you know, I just, it's so hard for me to find time. Plus, you know, watching the live stream with my roommates, that's awkward and weird, so... No, I'm not watching the live stream. I said, what about the Bible? You know, you used to go to Bible study and youth group. You used to study the Bible on your own. Are you, are you reading God's word? And he said, well, you know, the best time for me to read the Bible is the, in the morning, but I'm staying up late working on my homework and, and doing all these things. No, I haven't really been reading God's word, and I should say I, I have permission to share this story with you from him. I leaned in, and I, I said, well, I think I understand what your problem is and, and he leans into me and he's waiting for this profound wisdom and knowledge I'm going to impart on him and I said are you ready he said yes I said I think your problem is the reason God seems so distant and far away is because you're not spending time with him and he says that's it <laughs> that's my problem 
Because what he wanted me to say is these are the things that you have to do. He was so much like Martha. You should go on a mission trip. You should go to a conference. You should read this book. You should have this experience. If you do these things, then God will come near to you. Then he will be alive like he was when he was in high school. That's what he wanted. That's what I find myself, and maybe you find yourself doing the same thing. If only I would do these things, then maybe God would be near to me. If only I could recapture this moment in my life when God was so real and fresh. You see, that's exactly what Martha is doing in this account in Scripture. She's trying to earn God's love by the serving. She's trying to get rid of this burden on her heart by herself, and she doesn't believe or know anyways that Jesus can do that for her. So here's what I like to do. I want to give you something practical that you can sink your teeth in here today. I did this exercise with uh, our college student. I think it's very helpful just in terms of thinking about how much time we actually have in a given week. There are 168 hours that we have been blessed by every week of our lives. Most of us sleep seven, eight hours a week, and so that's 49 hours taken out of that if we're lucky, but there's still 119 hours a week in which we can spend it, do whatever we want, however we want to spend our time, 119 hours. Except, of course, many of us work, uh, whether we're taking care of kids at home or we're working at a job or we're going to school. Uh, let's just take 40 hours of the week there. We still have 79 hours left in our week to spend however we want to spend it, do whatever we want to do. And I know some of you have sports and some of you are driving kids around, so this is not 100% accurate, but bear with me. What would it look like with our 79 hours if we thought first about how to spend them, simply spending an hour of our week gathering in worship? coming here and worshiping side by side with our brothers and sisters in Christ, finding a place dedicated in your week where you can watch the service at home. And look, when you go on vacation, when you go skiing in the mountains or camping in the summer, all the opportunities we have here in this beautiful state, now because of the live stream, you can bring service with you to dedicate that one hour of your week to hear from Jesus to let Jesus minister to you. I mean, look, Jesus does all the heavy lifting. We believe on our communion Sundays that Jesus comes here. He prepares a meal for us, his body and blood, the forgiveness of our sins, guaranteed to, to anchor us into something outside of ourselves. Jesus does everything. He just asks us to show up. And since we still have 78 hours left in our week, what if we added one more hour to grow in faith to do a Bible study? to come here one hour early and attend one of our four Bible studies that we have going on right now? What if you ask some friends to study God's word with you? And if you're watching from home, again, you could do that on Zoom. You can do that on your own time. What if you open up your Bible on a regular basis? Just an hour to let God's word flow through him into your heart to ground you to something, to forgive you, to love you, to break up those idols that can cause us not to sleep and whatever these idols do for us just two hours a week well since we're on the subject what often happens what many people here in this congregation have discovered is once you are connected to God in that way and he's transformed your heart and he's filled you up with his grace you can't help but then go out and live God's mission to be the hands and feet of Jesus to bless the poor people who don't have enough food to eat, to provide for their needs in some tangible way, to talk to your neighbors who are lonely and isolated and feeling so disconnected from community, especially now. What way might God be calling you to use the gifts, the unique gifts that he has given to you specifically to go out from this place and to make a real difference in this world, to be the hands and feet of Jesus 
What if it was just three hours a week? What would that do to your worry? How might that bless your marriage? What kind of patience might that give you with your children? What kind of fears would that take away from you when you're at school and you're worried about being uh, with people who don't believe the same thing that you believe? What might that do to our community? I want to leave you with this. You know, it's one thing to talk about this and to, and to point those little bubbles out on the screen, and maybe you feel convicted and you're saying, yeah, I should do this more, and I should go to church, and I should study the Bible. If we go back to God's Word, uh, that word one is so important here because remember, it means puny, it means tiny. This one little thing that Martha had to do was really just a change in her mindset. You know, instead of seeing Jesus as something that you had to provide for, you have to serve, what Jesus wants us to know is that it's something that you get to serve. Worship is something that you get to come to, where he, again, does all the heavy lifting. He meets you here. He's the one that's preaching right now, not me. He's the one that's talking through his word, not Pastor Abel. He's the one that's going to provide you with these things. It's just a mindset change. To be humble like we see Mary doing, to sit at Jesus' feet, to allow him to pour into our hearts. And really where we see this transformation take place is in Martha's life herself. If you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open up to John chapter 11. Because Luke's narrative kind of ends with Martha. We don't hear from her much anymore, but it's John's gospel where uh, we see what happens to Mary's life. How that subtle shift in her life makes a profound difference in her faith. And this time, though, Martha is uh, talking to Jesus, but in a very different setting. Her brother Lazarus has just died. Lazarus, Scripture tells us, very good friend of Jesus. Mary and Martha send for him. Jesus isn't there at the moment. Uh, They go say, go get Jesus. Lazarus is dead. Jesus comes with his disciples back to Bethany. And this time, Martha gets in Jesus' face again. Martha says to Jesus, Jesus, if you would have been here, My brother Lazarus wouldn't have died. So very common expression of grief that many of us have felt before. Jesus, you know, if you would have been here, you you could have done something. But her attitude is also very different. You see, she has a different posture towards Jesus. Her faith has somehow been changed profoundly. And we know that because after a conversation with Jesus, verse 27, listen to this proclamation of faith that Martha shares for us today. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She now has her faith properly placed in the one who has conquered death, who has conquered sin. Before, when she's having this conversation in our gospel reading, she's not there yet. She doesn't believe. She doesn't know the power that Jesus has, the love that Jesus has. But by his grace and by his Holy Spirit, over time, she changes her mindset She shifts her posture, and she begins to listen to the teachings of Jesus. And it was his words that penetrated her heart, that broke her heart, but also freed her heart from the idols and the troubles of this world, this anxiety. And she comes to this blessed time where she can look at Jesus despite her circumstances and say, Lord, you are the one coming into this world. You see how profoundly she's been changed. See, this is the promise. As we look face-to-face with Jesus in these everyday encounters, Jesus offers the same thing to us. I want to invite you. I want to implore you. I want to pray for you that you also would find that time to just shift that mindset of yours, 
spend time, dedicate time in worship, open up your Bibles, let Jesus minister to you through his word, that we may be the type of people that sit at Jesus' feet and let him change us. Amen?